Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. If you haven't already done so, please be sure to visit caremorebebetter.com. You can sign up for our newsletter to be the first to gain access to new episodes and easily browse past shows on topics that matter to you. You'll find show transcripts and suggested actions you can take to make a difference. If you're so inclined, you can even become a member and make a donation right on our site. Today, we're going to meet an incredible woman who leverages her position as a thought leader, news icon, and influencer for good. Her name is Nana Abba Anamoa, and she is one of the most prominent journalists in Ghana. She is the Radio and Television Personality of the Year, an award she has won for the second time in three years. Other awards include TV News Reporter of the Year, Current Affairs Presenter of the Year, Ghanaian Woman of the Year, and Social Media Personality of the Year. She has become the leading voice on many issues on social media in Ghana, with a staggering following of over 3 million followers on Instagram alone. Nana Abba is currently General Manager of GH1 TV and Star 103.5 FM. Nana Abba, welcome to the show. Thank you, Corinna. <laughs> Thank you so much. Before we get started, I have to say happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you had quite the birthday party, didn't you? Uh, DJ. I did. I did. I was tiring, but a lot of fun. I had so much fun. I was exhausted at some point. I just disappeared into my room, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say I was a little jealous, namely because we're just getting to the point where we can even open up and have gatherings right. here in California. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to hosting my first party um, just at the <laughs> end of June, right around when this podcast will air. <laughs> <laughs> I read online that it was put on by your colleagues and some celebrities, many of whom mm. you helped launch the careers of. So yes. I was hoping you could tell us what you love about working in media and mentoring newcomers in the space. Well, I love working in the media because I'm able to I'm able to put certain issues across to the wider public. In Ghana, you could be in a community and be very loud, but if nationally people are not talking about your issues, then your problems don't get fixed. So you're always looking forward to a journalist coming to your community to feature bad roads, for instance. And once it is put on national TV or national radio and the country is talking about it, then you are rest assured that you're going to get results. And so I love being in the media to be able to put all of these issues across and to ensure that at least about more than more than 80% of these issues are addressed daily. So that's why I love the media. I love to mentor because <laughs> it's a very, very weird reason. The first one is that um, I don't like to be doing all the work. Uh, my friends sometimes say that I'm so lazy. And yes, I agree. I think it's my biggest weakness and also a very great strength for me. They like to say that I'm lazy, but I just say that I, I like to participate selectively. And so we're always fighting over the semantics, uh, the Mm -hmm. the choice of words. But I tell them that, no, I'm not lazy. I want to participate when I want to. Um, I mentor because I feel that I shouldn't be the only one doing the work. I shouldn't be the only one taking the glory. There are younger people who can do better than I am doing. Uh, All they need is the opportunity. All they need is the right people to hold their hand and open the door for them. So it's something I enjoy doing. And as soon as I realize that this person has got it, this person can do it, I spend extra time getting them ready for their big opportunity. And that big opportunity is always very close to them because you're going to find an Anaba who's too lazy to show up and say, oh, I know you're, you, you've been trying to do this for a while. Can you step in and do this for me? And they do it and there's always no problem. So I wait till the right time and then I just throw them out there. And they always do very well. So far... I've been lucky. None of the people I've mentored has been disastrous. Uh, They're all very, very good. They're all very, very good. They're very serious about their work. Um, They cherish the opportunities that come their way and they they don't play with that at all. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've followed you for a bit on social media and I can see <laughs> you're consistently celebrating the people that you've helped to mentor along the way. Yeah. And it's just yeah. such a joy to watch because <laughs> that's half of the leadership game, right? You have to help yeah. other people follow behind you and watch them yeah. succeed. And there's so much yeah. joy you can get from that. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you for that commitment. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Now, on a little bit of a serious note, as we dig into your work in social impact, I learned that you led an initiative to stop tramadol abuse in Ghana. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and learn more about what that problem was and how you're working to address that. Okay, so um, a few years ago, a young guy in one of our very poor neighborhoods called Nima uh, called me on the phone and sometimes I wonder how people get my number, but I, I've been told that my number is the easiest to find in Ghana. So I get all sorts of people calling me all the time. <laughs> and so he called me and he said um, he needed help. Uh, he had abused a particular drug for too long and he didn't know what to do. He wants to quit, but it's difficult for him to quit. And I was a bit worried about him. So I, I spoke to a couple of my friends and I said, let's go check out this guy because I didn't like the way he sounded. I don't think it was a, a fraudulent guy who was calling me. I don't think there were any games up. And so my friends were worried that, no, this, this neighborhood is rough. We can't go with you. We can't even allow you to go. And I said, no, I'm going to go because this guy, I mean, I don't think he would just pick up a phone and tell me that he's, he's, um, he's abusing a drug and he needs help. So I took the pains, went to the community. I found him, I went to the guy, um, I found him and it was a serious problem. He he had overdosed, um, he was in school at the time, he'd quit school, his whole life had just crashed before him. And so we managed to take him to um, a psychiatric hospital, uh, which was quite far from him. And then the doctors there said, oh, that is what the young men are doing, young men and women are doing now. There is a drug called tramadol. In Ghana, they call it tramol. Um, and I said, well, tramadol is, a, is, is not an over-the-counter drug. It's not something you can just buy. And it's expensive in Ghana. So I don't expect a guy like that to have access to the drug, number one, and even have the money to buy it. And he said, oh, it's something I need to look into, but he has no idea. But there are so many young people coming in, abusing this drug, and it's causing a lot of problems. So I decided to go back to the community. And I was told that, oh, it's something the young men are doing now. They all buy tra tramadol. So my investigations showed that the drug was fake. There, was a, there were three tablets, a white, a blue, and a green. Three tablets that were being brought into these poor neighborhoods by the Chinese, some Chinese who were coming into Ghana, uh, some were bringing it from Nigeria, and they were selling it to these young men and women in the communities. And it was doing three things for them. The white one had its own effect, the blue had its effect, and then the green had its effect. But bottom line for most of the people who were taking it was for economic reasons. They had been told that when you take the white tramadol, um, you don't go hungry. And these communities are very poor communities. So it is, they live below a dollar, they live on below a dollar a day. And so if you get a dollar, you are just lucky to have a dollar. And so when you have a dollar today, you're not sure where the next dollar will come from. So you don't want to spend it on food. You'd rather spend it on things that are more important to you, they feel are more important to them. So if this drug is going to stop them from eating, then they are better off going for that packet. And a packet had about 12 tablets. So it means that in a month, they're going 12 days without food. And this drug was supposed to take them through life uh, peacefully. I don't know who put that in their head, but it was being sold for as little as one Ghana CDs, which is less than a dollar, less than a dollar. So the young guys were taking it. The same drug would allow them to work under the sun for long hours. And so instead of working eight hours, they could do 16 hours and get extra money. And so it had economic implications. And then it was a security challenge as well. The other ones, they were taking it, they thought it was an aphrodisiac. It would help them have long sex in bed, long hours of sex. So, but that wasn't really uh, my concern so much. My main concern were with the young people who were on the streets thinking that this drug was a solution to their problems. So 
I went around the entire country because I didn't think it was just a problem in Accra. And my goodness, it was widespread. Now, when I realized that these people were abusing the drugs, the first question I asked myself was, where do they go to? In the case of this guy, he needed help. He wanted to go off. The, and majority of the young men and women I spoke to wanted to stop abusing the drug, but they didn't know how to go about it. And we didn't have a national rehabilitation center in Ghana. Uh, we have three psychiatric hospitals, um, one in Accra, our, our capital city. There's one in Cape Coast. There's one outside Accra in Pantang. But these were the only three facilities in a country where our population is over 28 million people. And it's expensive and difficult to even get there. Uh, so you go to the neighborhoods and you can't even get access to a psychologist, a psychiatrist. Uh, there is no rehab center and so through the campaign we did, the government decided that for the first time, we needed to build a national rehabilitation center. So I was very happy that for all the hard work that I, I put in, traveling across the country, going to some of the most dangerous ghettos in Ghana, and every time people watched it on TV, I got calls, Anaba, are you okay? Because I, I visited that ghetto. And I said to people that I'm fine. These guys, no one tried to harm me. They were happy to hear that I was there to offer them help. So at no point did any of them try to help me, but I could understand their fears because these were hardened addicts. Some of them were hardened criminals, but I was lucky that they were welcoming. They allowed me to come into their communities to speak to. The most heartbreaking episode for me was when I visited a community in the Ashanti region. It's one of the biggest regions in Ghana and one of the richest regions in Ghana. I went there and in one of the neighborhoods called Alaba, this woman had had a baby. Her baby was one year old. She had abused drugs so much that her baby will not breastfeed until she's had cocaine in her system. Mm. And that scared me. That broke my heart. And... In the community, I went around asking, is there a rehab here? No. Is there a facility we can take these people to? No. Um, I went to the police station and the police said, well, we know it is illegal for them to, to uh, take these drugs, cocaine and others, but we can't bring them here because we don't have the money to buy them food every day. So these people have just been left to their, their fate. And it was I was totally broken that day. And so I went on TV and I ranted for so long. And then people understood what I, what I was trying to do. Uh, I am happy to say today that the woman is now fine uh, because I got people to go in there and rescue her and the baby. Uh, the last time I spoke to her was about three months ago and the baby was fine. The baby, uh, the child is in school, not a, no longer a baby, but the child is in school now and the woman herself is fine. She's acquired a skill. And so she's able to work now. But she says once in a while, she goes into um, some episodes because she wants the, the drug. But she's she's trying to get over it. She's doing too, so well. And I'm happy with it. But now there's, there's so much awareness. Another thing that broke my heart was that after the campaign we did, people became aware of the fake tramol. So now they're the people who were going into the community to sell the tramol to them were being beaten up. Some of them were lynched. Mm. And so I had to do another program to say that you cannot lynch people. You can't kill people. When they come to your community, they're selling an illegal drug. You can do citizen arrest, arrest them and take them to the police station. But don't, don't beat people up. Don't kill them because you think they're bringing you a fake drug. So I had to do two different things, you know, because at the time I was doing the campaign, I didn't think there was going to be that effect later for people to go ahead and lynch people because Nanaba says that the drug is fake and you want to harm us. So now you're bringing that we have to deal with you. You know, so I had to go back again and then tell them that, no, you can't do this. When anybody comes, arrest them or call the police. They can be picked up and let the law deal with them. But you have no right to touch any human being. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're revealing right now the power of influence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have uh, quite a following in Ghana and people do listen to you. I mean, I've been on yeah. these calls on Clubhouse with you where <laughs> they're asking you yeah. to run for office. So, <laughs> you know, they want you yeah. to be their literal political savior. And yeah. um, it's a lot of responsibility <laughs> with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's a whole lot. Of, it's just sometimes I feel the pressure. Sometimes I have to withdraw a bit because I feel it, it affects my mental health sometimes too, because then it becomes 
other people's problems all the time and then I'm unable to take care of myself. You know, so once in a while, I just withdraw from everybody just to take care of myself, you know, put myself in order uh, before I start putting other people's issues first. Yeah, that's part of the problem of being there to champion a mantle like that, because you do feel such an incredible responsibility. So um, again, just incredible efforts on your part. Now, you mentioned something that is something I've thought about learning about you, and that is your own personal safety. The fact that you are having these really influential conversations that can be a little earth-shaking to communities can, in some cases, you know, make you a target. So I wonder if you've had any concern in that arena as you champion these causes. I, I mean, are you becoming more concerned for your own safety? Absolutely. Every single day. Um, because I, I think, I don't, I don't know, the Ghanaian seems to think, especially the youth in Ghana seem to think that if there is a particular issue and Nanaba is not talking about it, then the issue will not be addressed. And so uh, it makes me a target for the political parties, especially, especially those that are in power. Mm -hmm. um, a number of times I've been attacked on social media verbally. I mean, verbally, I get calls and people are attacking me on the phone. How dare you say this? We are trying to do this, blah, blah, blah. I've been very loud on corruption. Um, I, I feel that this country has no reason. We have no right to go to the West to borrow money because we have so much money in this country. We have almost every natural resource. We have oil, we have gold, we have bauxite, we have cocoa, we have everything. And we don't need, we don't need to go to the West begging for money to, to fix our country. But it is happening every day. Um, you have situations where a politician has taken $50 million from the state and they talk about it for three days and nothing happens. It goes to the president's attention and successive governments. It goes to the president's attention. Oh, you need to bring evidence. But the evidence is right there and they're not doing anything about it. So there have been countless times and the moment everyone can talk about it and they think it's okay, uh, this one, it will go away. But the moment Nanaba talks about it, it becomes a big issue. And then they start attacking me. In fact, there've been so many times where meetings have been held over Nanaba, what to do about Nanaba. So they come on social media and they're like attack dogs. They go all out for me. They call me all sorts of names. I mean, I've been called everything. I've been called a prostitute. I've been called, I've been called all sorts of things. At some point they said I was a husband snatcher. I've never dated anybody's husband, <laughs> but they were just trying, they were just trying to um, soil my reputation. At some point, one politician that I criticized hardly um, got some few people together, gave them money, and then they said, go on social media and attack her. They did it. Fortunately for me, the people who follow me do not buy into these stories. So mm -hmm. a lot of the time, yes, you find these political attack laws going all out, attacking me, but I have so many followers who would also say, no, this is not true. You're doing this because Nanaba said A, B, C, D, and that's what you're trying to do. On my birthday, I received so many calls. And one of them that pretty much shook me was a guy who said that, oh, Nanaba, you do so much for young people, but just watch out um, because we have been asked to hurt you. But because we like you, we don't want to, we don't want to do anything to you. I sat down, thought hard about it, and I thought, okay, it must be one of these four. And immediately I reported it to the police and the police said, all right, we'll look out for you. We'll, we'll be there for you. Yeah, so once I get worried about me, my family, I have a son. Fortunately, my son doesn't live in Ghana. He lives in Florida. And so I'm happy that he's away. He's out of the country. But yes, yeah, sometimes I do, I do get really worried because I, I, I never know who's approaching me. People come from very far, different communities, and they're in my office without appointments. And they're standing sometimes under trees waiting for me to come up because they have a problem and they think it is Nanaba who can fix it. So I never know who's coming to see me, if the person mm -hmm. is out there to harm me or just coming for um, some advice, word of advice or consolation. I just never know. But yes, I've, I've thought of it a number of times about my, mm -hmm. my security, my mental health. I've thought of it a number of times, yeah. 
Now, you mentioned corruption. I did a little bit of research on this end, too, and saw that the corruption index in Ghana has actually been declining over the last eight years. So it started out at something like 48 at its peak and is now coming down to around 43 um, as the last assessment. And one of the solutions that's been proposed is that more women come into politics. Because um, apparently there's a correlation between more women in politics and less corruption in government, which is quite interesting, to be frank. So do you agree with that position or direction? And do you see a, a silver lining as we are looking into the forward projection of the world? Um, I, I, I agree. I totally agree. Um, more women coming into politics in Ghana. I mean, it's something we've talked about over and over again. There are women who are very confident who put themselves up when it comes to the most critical point, just a few of them make it. So for instance, our women in parliament, the number of women in parliament has reduced because the women, the women don't want to put themselves up for it. They are attacked by their male colleagues a lot. There is always an agenda that's set against them. There are some who are not married and marriage is such a big issue in, in our part of the world. Um, when you reach a certain stage and you're not married, it is used against you. In fact, I've been telling people that you can't say that I am only fulfilled when I am married, but mm -hmm. unfortunately that's how people think. So you have a woman who's ready to contest, a woman who's extremely competent, you know this woman can do the job, but because she's not married, they say, oh, she's not married, she cannot be responsible. Mm -hmm. And I'm just they're thinking, what do you mean? She can't be responsible because she's not married. Or worse still, if you don't have a child, if you're married and you don't have a child, oh, she's been married for five years. She has no child. She cannot oh. do the job. Uh, yeah. I would have been villainized. So, <laughs> oh, it is, it is, uh, it is depressing. Uh, it's depressing. So the women try very hard to put themselves up for it. It's difficult. Uh, we have a bill in parliament, the affirmative action uh, bill. It's been in parliament for the longest time. Every, um, every political party promises that we are going to pass the bill. They win the election and they never pass the bill. Um, so it's still sitting in parliament. We are hoping that one day it'll be passed. There was a time where we were asking for quotas. It's working to some extent but it's not so good. The president has tried, for instance, to uh, appoint more women in his cabinet. It's better than before. It's been rising over the, over the last few years, uh, but we've had women occupying certain very, certain uh, serious, important positions. For instance, the electoral commission was headed by a woman. She left another woman took over. We've had two chief justices who were women. And so, that's one of the highest positions in Ghana, being mm -hmm. a chief justice. You are the third most important person of the land. So we've had two women there and that made everyone happy. We've had two women at the Electoral Commission. We've had um, a female attorney general twice. So that was for the first time we had a female attorney general. Her party was thrown out. The next party that came was had a, a female attorney general as well. Unfortunately for... Uh, this particular year, the, the attorney general is male. The female uh, was not reappointed. But we've had women making, we're making inroads. Uh, we are getting more women in the boardrooms now, mm -hmm. uh, more women becoming CEOs and general managers now. I think it's going to get better. And you're right when you talk about corrup corruption and then appointing more women. I've had men who have said, oh, this was a situation we had earlier. When a woman took over, we're seeing meaningful use of our resources. There is less and less corruption. And so you are absolutely right. I think that if we give more women an opportunity in this country, a lot of the ill going on in governance will stop because sometimes it is, it is just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable how... People milk the state. I remember there was a case against a woman, um, corruption. It was a corruption case as well. Uh, and she was uh, uh, accused of um, embezzling funds. And the conversation on radio and TV was shocking. People were shocked that a woman, why should a woman embezzle funds? And I said to them that men embezzle funds. Mm. So if a woman has embezzled funds, 
what's the problem? They didn't understand why a woman, because you're a woman, you shouldn't do that. Uh, if it is a man, it is okay. And I couldn't understand the common sense in that conversation. That we've put up with so much mediocrity uh, with men that people think that if a woman comes to do the same thing, that is such a, a huge problem. I think it's just yeah, a human problem. it's a double problem. standard. It's a double standard, precisely. Absolutely. And so, but I think that women who have occupied such sensitive positions have done very well. Um, they've, they've done justice to the job and they've left um, us being praised every single day in Ghana. Well, that's great to hear. Now, it's also Pride Month. We're in June now, and LGBTQIA plus issues are top of mind for many across the globe. I know in Ghana in particular, there are a lot of challenges that the community faces, specifically because it's essentially illegal to be a gay man in the entire country. I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit. And just if you're willing to share anything that you're doing in this particular arena to support the LGBTQ community. Absolutely. I mean, the the issue with the LGBTQ community in Ghana totally breaks my heart. Every single day that I, I hear about them, I just get so emotional. So the community in Ghana, once in a while, they talk about legalizing. They talk about legalization once in a while. In fact, they hardly do talk about legalization. I think what Ghanaians have not paid attention to is what this community is asking for. And Ghanaians haven't paid attention to because we have opportunists in certain positions. We have some politicians who are opportunists. They know they're not doing their job. They know very well that they've been given a task. They are unable to deliver. And so the easiest target for them is the LGBTQ community. And so, for instance, the whole country goes agog that we have had bad roads in these communities for a long time. Pregnant women are dying because they don't have access to healthcare. They need to travel miles to access healthcare. And so people start talking about this. And the next minute, Corina, unfortunately, the next minute, you find three people picked up by the security agencies that, oh, we caught them in the act or we saw them doing advocacy of LGBT. And then everyone stops talking about access to healthcare. Everyone stops talking about the bad roads and it is now the LGBTQ. How dare you? The Bible is against it. Our laws are against it, blah, blah, blah. They go on for days and weeks, and then everyone forgets. So the politicians in this country hijack conversations, take off people's minds from the most important issues by using the LGBTQ because they know how Ghanaians feel about the LGBTQ. And so they know it is so easy to throw them in for everyone to forget about the critical issues. And I say to people that you can feel any way about the LGBTQ community, whatever you feel. I mean, you are homophobic and people don't even understand that they're homophobic. They, they don't even understand what homophobia is. Um, I've had people pass certain um, comments and I say to them that what you're saying is problematic. You cannot say that. It's homophobic. Oh, it's not homophobic. I just don't want to be associated with gays. I don't want to be associated with lesbians because this is what they do in the bedroom. And I, what? I ask, why are you concerned about what people do in the bedroom? Why are you thinking about what people do in the bedroom? We have human beings who are gay, human beings who are lesbians. They go to the hospital because they are not well. And the hospital has the audacity to turn them away because they are gay. And this person is very sick. The person has a right to receive health care and they are turning them away. And you sit down and you say the hospital did the right thing. They are unable to socialize. They can't go to school. You go to school, the moment they find out that you're gay, trust me, Corina, you can never go to school again because they know you are gay. You're going to live amongst them. They think that you, you are a cursed, you are a cursed thing. You cannot live with them. And I, I just, it, it just beats my understanding all the time that you can't lynch a human being because you feel he's different from you. That's a human being. You claim you are a Christian. You claim you are a Muslim. You claim the Bible and the Quran is against LGBTQ. You also claim the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. So why are you being hypocritical? 
One minute, the Bible is saying this to you and you believe that. But the Bible says another thing to you and you think, no, this one we cannot do. Why are you choosing what you think is right for you? And so that has been my anger with a system. Like recently, the, they managed to get an office in Ghana. It was a whole issue uh, that how dare they uh, get an office. And I said to people that, look, they're getting this office because the whole country is against them. There is no one to speak for them. No one speaks for them. I have I have done shows on LGBTQ. I sat down with gays, had a conversation with them. This show went on TV. Corina, I was almost beaten up in this country because I sat down with homosexuals and people just couldn't understand. I said, how, I mean, I did this because I need you to understand that they are human beings and the way you treat you treat me should be the same way you treat these people. I sat with them. I didn't die. They are not, they are not evil. They, they are people minding their business. Why do you want to be concerned about what two men are doing in the bedroom? What two women are doing in the bedroom? I have decided to be transgender. How is that your pro? Why, why, why are we targeting them? And so, and for, for, I mean, fortunately for me, people are beginning to wake up to this awakening that politicians are deliberately pitching the LGBT community against the rest of Ghana. And mm-hmm. so people are, people are beginning to speak up. Mm-hmm. Recently, a number of them were picked up in a community in Ghana. They, were in, they kept them in police cells for 21 days. I mean, how do you do that? And that's even against the law. So I spoke to one police commander and I said to the police commander that when you arrest people, you cannot keep them overnight. You cannot keep them more than two days in a cell. It's illegal. You claim LGBT is illegal, but you are also practicing another illegality. Why are you keeping people in cell for more than two days? Oh, they are gays. What they are doing is against the law. What they're doing is evil. It is satanic. And I I just looked at him and I said, you're a married man. Are you trying to say that you've been loyal to your wife all this while? Because you, you, I know you very well. You don't, you have a wife, but you have girlfriends. Do you know the Bible is against that as well? Do you know it's illegal as well? Oh, because I'm a man, it's okay. And I'm doing it with a woman. Yeah. So there is a lack of education about LGBTQ in Ghana. Uh, But I'm glad that slowly people are beginning to understand. Um, I have friends in the community who would call me sometimes and say, Nanaba, you know, we like you. We don't want you to be attacked you've said enough. It's okay. Just stop it there. Don't say anything more because I think sometimes they get concerned as well, but I get very emotional about, because I know, I know homosexuals in Ghana. I know lesbians and they're fantastic people. They do so well. And I don't understand the hatred. I interviewed a politician uh, recently on my show, and then he threatened to beat up the Australian high commissioner to Ghana because the Australian high commissioner to Ghana Uh, was at the opening of this LGBTQ office. And he spoke against all the attacks. And Ghanaians were upset that how dare this Australian High Commissioner go and speak about LGBTQ. And I was just completely shocked that it is Western. uh, It is not African. It's so Western. And I say to Ghanaians that it is so Western. You go to the West, you are in a hurry to travel to the West and buy designer bags not made by Ghanaians. You use it. So let's assume LGBT is Western. Then stop patronizing everything Western. Your leaders, leaders of Africa, travel all the way from Africa. They go to France, they go to Australia, they go to the US, and they beg for money. These are taxes of the people of those countries. And some of these people are from the LGBTQ. But you're using their money to develop your country. And that's the hypocrisy of the system. Mm -hmm. But I'm happy that slowly they are beginning to understand. Mm-hmm. I just hope and pray that we can still continue to champion um, the rights of these people to healthcare, to education, uh, to freedom. They, they need to be able to move around freely. Uh, Corinne, I'm telling you, if you, you are in this room with me and we're all having a conversation and dancing and someone whom everyone knows is gay walks in here, the whole room will go quiet. Mm. And people will start walking out because a gay has entered the room. And I just say, this is so primitive. It's so, it's so primitive. It's a cake. So we need to change the mindset. We need to, and these people haven't even talked about legalization. Legalization hasn't even come up at all. I know the moment legalization 
gets onto the table, it's going to be a whole issue in Ghana. But I say to the community that take it a day at a time. Uh, let's try to get you to access healthcare, which is important because in 2021, there is no reason why someone should die because he's gay and couldn't access healthcare. No one should be beaten up because he's gay. No one should be turned down by a school that because this is a Catholic school and you are a known gay, we cannot, um, we cannot, you know, get you here. You you can't be enrolled in the school, or because this school was established by this charismatic church, we can't allow you to be part. I don't get it. I really don't get it. But it's something we are constantly talking about. I just hope that Ghanaians, and it's not just Ghana. In Nigeria, they get beaten up all the time. They are killed all the time. It makes absolutely no sense. And we have leaders who are supposed to be exposed. And some of them call themselves liberals. And sometimes I have fights with people who call themselves liberals because I say to them that, okay, I have a very conservative mind. I'm very conservative about things. But if I am able to say that these people need to be protected at all costs, and you call yourself a liberal, and you do not understand that the LGBT community is so huge across the world, and there is absolutely no reason for anybody to be killed because they're gay. If you don't understand it, then we have a problem. You don't understand why you, you call yourself a liberal. You don't understand it at all. You know, so it's a conversation we're having in Ghana. Um, I know the Nigerians are having that conversation too. In Togo, it is a big issue as well. You cannot dare be gay. So in Africa, it's a problem. But I'm happy that there is a lot of sensitization going on underground, trying to sensitize people about it. I'm hoping that in the next five years, I'm giving myself, I say five years and some say it's too long, but I say five years is, is okay. Uh, let's just give ourselves five years and then things will slow down. Because I, I don't know, because if you look at the statistics of gays who are attacked every day, it's just, it's just depressing. You know, it's really depressing. Well, even a timeline of five years could be optimistic. And that's the sad thing because, you know, you have a situation where, as you mentioned earlier, the LGBTQ community, it, like an issue is brought to the surface specifically when the government's trying to derail you from thinking about other important issues. So, you know, it's not to say that the LGBTQ community is any less important, but it's being used in a particular way to incite individuals towards hate and to ignore other issues. They're using them. They use them a lot. It's so e They are such an easy target in this country. And I'm glad guardians are beginning to read between the lines. Mm -hmm. Now they are finding out that the politicians just use this community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a common tactic. You know, it's like, oh, we don't want you to look at this particular thing. We're going to we're going to therefore bring this right up to front and center. I mean, in the United States, the thing that gets held above, I think, most things is, you know, abortion or rights to abortion. It's something that inflames the difference between right and left and keeps many of us from agreeing when we might actually see eye to eye on many issues. But this polarizing thing is just brought right into the center to divide us. And with division, progress doesn't get made. And so that's the bigger problem, yeah. right? Well, um, I have to say, I can see why so many of your fans <laughs> want you to run for office. Your passion <laughs> comes through. And um, I, I mean, I know it's going to take a lot of effort from many individuals in leadership to help both uproot this corruption and support yeah. communities that that need it, in particular in the LGBTQ community, but also as you even spoke about with Tramador. I just think, you know, these issues are going to continue to come up and they're going to need champions like yourself. So whether or not that's in politics. <laughs> so I'm curious, what other social issues are you presently working to support and champion? I try to help a lot of young people on the streets. So last year, during one of our lockdowns, we went into a lockdown. Um, I was driving home from work and then I get to the traffic intersection and two young men rush to my car uh, because we have hawkers, a lot of hawkers in Ghana. So you get to every traffic intersection, you find young people selling all sorts of things from uh, confectionaries to drinks to dog chains to a lot. They have a whole lot. And you can buy almost everything in traffic. And so these young men approached me. I rolled down. I said, oh, can we take a selfie with you? And I said, oh, that's not a big deal. Let's take a selfie. And then one of the young men said, oh, um, 
I always wanted to be a presenter, but I couldn't um, pursue further education because my mother passed away. My dad didn't have money. And so this is why I'm, you know, I'm on the streets selling. And he was selling um, charger, a car charger for phones. He was selling chargers. And um, so I asked him, that how much money do you make in a day? And he said he makes um, a profit of 50 CDs. 50 CDs is about maybe $10. That's how he, much he makes in a day. Um, but he really wants to be a presenter because that's been his passion all along. So I said to him, okay, um, pass by the office the next day when you have time. I honestly didn't think the guy would turn up, but he turned up. Uh, that's how serious he was. And then he said, um, I really want to do this. I think this is my future. So I said, okay, we'll take you off the streets for a while. Come for some training. Um, I don't want to see you in action now, but I'm going to hand you over to one of our producers to take you through, you know, a mock run to see what you can do in front of the camera. So he did it once and the producer called me and said, Anaba, there was a talent right here. You need to see him. So I went down to the studio and this was the guy in front of the camera and he was phenomenal. Hmm. So I said to him that you need to stop going back. Don't go back to the streets. This is where you belong and we are going to give you a job. We're going to train you. We're going to give you three months of training. Every month we'll give you an allowance. After three months, if you realize that this is really what you want to do, we will employ you and um, start. you start earning um, a salary. So we did that for him. And then people saw him on TV. And Corina, after that, every young person was coming to my office every day. I need <laughs> a job. <laughs> you opened a I can of worms job. with that one. Yeah. I, I want to do this and I don't have the means. I want this. I don't have the means. So I said, oh, my God, what have I done? Um, another time, I was driving home, same traffic. A guy was selling uh, toilet rolls, uh, tissue paper. And then he was running towards my car. I rolled down and he said he had completed the university with a first class. And here he was on the street. Uh, he had been out of the university for about six years. No job. He was on the street. Okay. I said, come to my office with your CV the next day. Let's see what we can do for you. I looked at his CV and Corinna, I was stunned that this guy was even better than a lot of people in my office. In fact, his his academic record was better than mine, but the guy was on the street selling tissue paper. Um, and it, it's not to say that people who sell tissue paper are below me, but if, you, if you're in Ghana, you will understand that you're on the street hawking. Sometimes they go home with nothing. You can be on the street from morning till night and the sun scorches in Ghana a lot. And they're in the sun all day and all they make is maybe five cities. Five mm -hmm. cities is less than a dollar. That's how much they're making in a day. That's absolutely nothing. So he brought a CV. We managed to get him a job. Uh, fast forward, he's now a supervisor with a company in Ghana. He's doing very well. He's so happy. Another guy, similar uh, story. He's now happy. He's even getting married. He called me the other day that he's getting married and he wants me to be the chairman of his wedding. I said, I've never been married before. I don't have any experience. So I can't be the chairman <laughs> of your wedding. So that is what I'm working on now. I get people approaching me. They're brilliant students, but from very deprived homes. They don't have access to money to pursue their education. So uh, fortunately for me, I have a good relationship with certain institutions and the scholarship secretariat. So I've helped a few young people who are very brilliant to uh, pursue higher education outside the country. But I get a lot of people saying, Anaba, you need, to, you need to do this properly. You need to structure it because a lot of the time I do it from my, my pocket. I'm using my own resource to do it. And so I've been convinced to put a, a foundation together. I've been pussyfooting for some time because I just feel that I am not ready for their responsibilities it will bring. But there's a lot of pressure for me to put it together. And so that's what I'm currently working on, an um, organization called Hearts Wide Open. And I don't want it to be just in Anaba uh, initiative. So that's why I didn't call it the Nanaba Foundation. I just don't want any foundation in my name. I want a foundation that every Ghanaian will be part of. So hearts wide open if you're able to give uh, to help others on the street. Because when I help people, I get people calling, how can I also help? I don't have money, but I want to help with the little I have. And so I'm trying to put this together. But at the moment, my 
immediate focus is getting these young men and women off the streets. There was a young lady who came to see me um, a few years ago. Um, she was in a very deprived community and she was practicing prostitution. And so she came to see me and she says she's so tired. She's exhausted. She can't do this anymore. She can't be a prostitute anymore. She wants to quit. Uh, she wants to acquire a skill. So I made a few calls. One of my friends uh, who had a salon said, oh, bring her over if she's interested in, you know, acquiring a skill. So I took her there. She went there. Now she can make people up, fix their hair. She managed to open her own shop and she's doing so well. And every time I see her, I am super proud that she's able to do this for herself. She's had a baby. She's so happy. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Get a lot more young people to go off the streets, um, find themselves, make their lives better uh, for them by giving them a skill, helping them to get a skill, to earn money, proper money at the end of yeah. every month, salary. Yeah. Well, you took some words out of my mouth. I was going to ask you what's next for you. And it sounds like this is part of that answer. You know, it's Hearts Wide Open Foundation. I love the name. And I don't know if you're currently accepting donations, because one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, how can people support Ghanaian people and the challenges that you're facing right now? And what would you recommend? Um, but it sounds like this could be it. Yeah, this could be it. But I'm still working on it. Um, fortunately, I'm done with the registration because I believe in doing things the right way. Um, I don't like cutting corners. So for instance, when I was registering the company, someone said, oh, Nanaba, you are Nanaba. Go to the registry general yourself and it will take just an hour for them to register it. And I said, no, I want to go through the proper procedure. So it was at the registry general's department for a while. It's finally being registered. I've got a project manager who's putting the structures together, getting a bank account, getting everything, a proper office for it. So when it is done, then I can start receiving donations. At the moment, I don't want to receive donations because yeah. I don't have a proper structure yet. Yeah, yeah but it's so, coming. And I have complete yeah, faith coming. that you're yeah. getting it done. <laughs> yeah, I'll get it done, definitely. That's yeah. fantastic. Well, perhaps when it is completed, you can come back yeah. on and we can talk all Absolutely. about what you're doing. That would be amazing. I would love to just offer you the floor as we prepare to close. Is there any question you wish I'd ask that I haven't or just some thought that you'd like our community to think through or something you'd like to leave them with? Yes, I will just say that. And I see you um, do a lot of work on infant mortality. I see your uh, your posts on um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. And every time I check out your story, there's something about infant mortality. I just want to say that in Ghana, we have tried very well to bring the mortality rates down. Um, it is still not the best, but it's better than before. Um, I would want to use this opportunity to plead to everyone who's listening. If you ever, ever, ever want to help people, I think that we would appreciate um, anyone sending Ghanaian hospitals, Ghanaian clinics, beds, because we have a no bed syndrome in Ghana. Uh, you go to the hospital and forget about coronavirus. I mean, coronavirus didn't really expose Ghana that much. I mean, I look at what happened in the US, in China, in the UK, in other countries, and we look here and we say, wow, we are so lucky. We, we, we recorded deaths, but it wasn't so bad. Um, our hospitals were not choked. Um, we didn't have the issues others are facing, but we have a no bed syndrome that has persisted for so long. Uh, you go to the hospital with a critical condition and you're told, oh, you have to go back home because there's no bed. Else you have to lie on the floor. Pregnant women are delivering on the bare floor in Ghana. Pregnant women are dying because they couldn't reach the hospital on time because they live very far away from a hospital. Pregnant women are dying not because the baby was sick, but because they didn't have access to basic things. Just ba- they go for antenatal once, twice. It's too expensive. We can't afford it. So they stop going to the hospital. And then they get complications along the way. And so if people really want to help, I'd like them to channel their energies into a healthcare system. They can read about it. There are so many clinics in Ghana that are online. Get in touch with them. And I appreciate donations to these hospitals and clinics in the form of beds, um, oxygen uh, tanks, um, something as simple as bed sheets. 
um, in Ghana, mm-hmm. <laughs> in one of our, in fact, not one, our biggest hospital, the Kolebu Teaching Hospital, sometimes you have nurses call, and a lot of nurses call me from the, the labor ward, and they say, oh, there are about seven women here who delivered three weeks ago, but because they haven't been able to pay for, uh, they haven't been able to foot their bill, we have kept them here. We can't allow them to go home. And you ask how much is each woman supposed to pay? And Corinna is as little as $100. $100. Because of $100, they detain pregnant women and their babies at the hospital, you know? And so I get my friends, look, let's go and pay for these women to be free. Let's do this. Let's do that for them. And well, so that's I amazing. Very I mean, here, if you go to the hospital to have a baby, the fees that you have to pay to the hospital are so much more than that by leaps and bounds. It's more. Yeah, a lot more. It's more than that. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's actually little. But they detain the woman. They detain them. And sometimes you have husbands moving from one place. Please, can you help me with a few? My wife has been detained. I want my wife and my baby home. But they keep them, them sometimes for three weeks, four weeks, and they're there. They're detained because they don't have money to pay the bill. And they're sitting at the hospital. And the bill keeps increasing every day because you need to give them food. The baby must eat. So I'd be very happy if people would pay some attention to our healthcare system. Yeah, I'd appreciate that a lot. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Nana Abba, for inviting us all. I enjoyed this. (laughs) This has been amazing. And I've learned a lot. Um, I'm going to seek out a hospital or two to make a personal donation to because I also believe so much in supporting particularly women in that phase of life. And so thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I just want to go ahead and invite our listeners to get involved. You can act in many simple ways. You could share this podcast with some friends, or you could do something as simple as providing an exceptional donation to a hospital in need in Ghana or even in other communities that are underserved around the globe. To find suggestions, I'd like to invite you to visit our action page on caremorebebetter.com. There you'll find causes and companies we encourage you to support. And as soon as Nana Abba's charity is completely put together, I'll be sure to highlight it there as well. So you can follow us on social spaces on Instagram, Clubhouse, and more at caremorebebetter, or just send us an email to hello at caremorebebetter.com. I want to hear from you, and I want to thank our listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we can do so much more. We can care more and be better. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good. 